If you've been following Jesus for three years and been his disciples, then you will act in a certain way afterwards. And the community that's been founded by Jesus will be now acting in a certain way consistent with the character and the heart and the teachings of Jesus. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. Now let me ask you this question. How does it feel when you've got an important thing to do and you feel underprepared? How does it feel? Stressful? Overwhelming? How do you feel? Nervous? Anxious? All right, so a very, I feel unstable. Like, I feel like I'm not standing on solid ground. And yet, do you know anybody like that? Have you ever met anybody like that? No, okay, no, okay. No, no one in your house? Okay, good, that's good to know. Because in your house, your children get to do whatever they want all the time. All right, is that right? I, I, apparently so. So, uh, so never mind. But how does it feel when you know you're properly prepared? Something important to do. But you know you've got it covered. If you're confident, you still feel nervous. No, but that's an important thing because if it's important, actually, we should still feel a bit nervous because it's about we know it's important. But what's the difference between that kind of nervous when we're underprepared as opposed to the nervous still but prepared? What's the difference? You don't feel guilty for one thing because you know you've prepared, all right? What else? We feel reassured. Ah, okay. Yeah. Right, so there's nervous because we are underprepared, and there's nervous because we're excited. And the excitement is possible because of the preparation. Isn't that rather like the Christian life? If you go out to share your faith, but you're excited about it because you're prepared in your heart, ready, it's very different from going out to share your faith nervous but anxious but fearful because you really know you're not ready. Or when you go to talk to somebody about having a, a sensitive conversation. When you're really prepared, it's very different from when you're not prepared. Or when it comes to confessing our own sins, and we're confident of our relationship with God, and we're prepared in that sense of knowing, knowing God as opposed to not really knowing God and who he is and what he's really like. I mean, and, and so many other situations in life. There's a big difference. It's a vital difference in the Christian life to be prepared as opposed to under prepared. Now we're never going to be fully prepared for everything which is why God says uh, I'm going to supply you with the strength you have. But there's a a part of the preparation that is our part as opposed to God's part. So today we're talking about the way that God prepared the church but also how our first century brothers and sisters in the book of Acts in a sense allowed themselves to be prepared by God for the work that God had in mind for them. The way they cooperated with him. How they thought about how can we be ready how can we be ready to be what God wants us to be? And that's important for us as a church. We're into our third year of existence here in Watford. It's important for us because God has things in mind for us this year that I dare say are different from last year and the year before. Are we prepared? And so that's what we're going to be looking at here today. Oh, yeah, I was, uh, Penny and I were having lunch yesterday with uh, our old friends. And uh, the daughter, one of the daughters of our old friends, uh, has a big exam on Monday, and uh, she's uh, training to be a doctor, and this is a, a big exam, and I forget that there's, there's a title to these kinds of exams, and it's, uh, I think it's called an OSCE, or an Oscar, or something, and it stands, it's not the Oscars, but it's, it stands for, um, I forget, but anyway, what it is, it's a, a live way of, of being tested, so you have an actor playing a part of someone with a certain illness, 
and you have the trainee doctor uh, diagnosing, and you have other uh, examining doctors watching and then marking how the, the trainee doctor does. So it's really scary because you're being scrutinized, looked at right there and then. Um, and so Penny has uh, been through all of this to qualify as a doctor, but she's also been an examiner. She's actually examined other junior doctors, trainee doctors in this. So when yesterday we found out from our friends that their daughter was going to have her exam uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Penny, we were sitting having lunch. Penny said, look, why don't I go around now? Let's leave here and let's go around and, and I'll practice with your daughter because I've examined this and so rang up the daughter. She had to think about it a bit, but then she said, yes, come round. So, so Penny and, uh, and the, uh, the wife of uh, friends, they, they, they finished their lunch and, and off they went and Penny drove an hour down to this house and spent two and a half hours helping examine and train uh, this lady who'll be doing the exams on uh, Monday. And I sat there with the husband and we drank coffee and... <laughs> I don't know, talked about stuff. And, and we, you know, we, well, we put the whole world to right, you know, in, you know, in, in that two, little time. It didn't take long, you know, because anyway. Um, but we, we got it all sorted out. And, uh, and Penny came home totally exhausted, but so satisfied that she was able to help somebody else get prepared. And now that young lady is going to go into her exams on Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday. We don't know if she'll pass, but she's far better prepared. Isn't that a good feeling? My prayers today, that as we talk about what we have here in Acts 1, we'll feel better prepared personally for the week ahead, maybe for the year ahead, but also as a church, as a community, we will feel better prepared. So let's go to Acts chapter 1, let's read the chapter, and then let's talk about three simple things from this scripture. Acts 1, verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about and that's the Gospel of Luke, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times and dates or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. 
Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers and sisters, the scripture had to be fulfilled in which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in our ministry. With the payments he received for his wickedness, Judas bought a field where he fell headlong, his body burst open, all his intestines spilled out, Everyone in Jerusalem has heard about this, so they called that field in their language a keldama, which is field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justus, and Matthias. When, then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. Acts chapter 1. Well, a fascinating thing. I wish I have a handout, which I'll give out afterwards, with some background to the book of Acts and why it's so important that we do this after the book of Luke. So we'll, you can look at that at that point. And as we go through the book of Acts, I think we're going to see many fascinating things. But for today, Jerusalem. This happened near Jerusalem. That's a rough, that's a model of maybe how it looked at the time. And we're going to see three things. Firstly, three parts of preparation. Firstly, if you're going to be prepared well, you've got to know what you need. If you're going on holiday, as Penny and I are, a week from yesterday, we are prepared. We have booked, we've booked the flights, we've booked the car out there, and uh, I haven't yet booked the suitcase we need to take, but I'm going to book that tomorrow. And, uh, you know, we're gathering the things we need, we're going to pack, we hope to be fully prepared. We know where we're going in the south of Spain, that it is, raw, it is pouring with rain at the moment. And it is likely to be pouring with rain all next week. So we're taking uh, waterproof clothing. We're going to walk a lot, That's our, it's a walking holiday. So, you know, we're going to get wet. So we're going to take some waterproof clothing. We need to know what we need, though. If we were going somewhere else, we wouldn't need a raincoat. We would need something else. We need, if we're going to be prepared for the Christian life, for what God has in mind for us, we need to know what we need. And I think Jesus is clarifying things here in the first few verses of uh, chapter 1. As they ask him the question, is the kingdom coming? Or when is it coming? He says it's coming. Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They want to know about the time, but what does Jesus tell them? He says, the time is irrelevant for you. God will sort that out. But he says, what you need, what you need is power. You need power. You don't need to know the times and the dates. 
You don't need to know the circumstances. You need power. And that's what I'm promising you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. They needed the power of the Holy Spirit, not knowledge about the detail. And if you look through the book of Acts, you'll know, <laughs> as you read through the book of Acts, that the Christian life was anything but predictable. It was one series of unpredictable events after another, ranging from miracles and healings through to imprisonments and persecution through to the astonishing conversion of the very last person on the planet that you would expect to become a Christian, the Apostle Paul, becoming the Apostle Paul, rather than the persecutor Saul, and the rest. Jesus was very, was very keen to help them get their eyes onto the right things and off the wrong things. It's not about the circumstances. It's about the power. And I think that's quite important for us today as well. Our ability to be God's church in Watford is not about our strength. It's not about our gifts. It's not about our talents. It's not about our numbers. It's not about any of the circumstances. It's not about whether we have our own building or not. Much as we announced last week, there's a possibility of acquiring a building in Croxley, but it's going to be months, I think, rather than weeks before we know if it will work out. Um, but whether we end up with a building or not, and I would like a building, I think, but I don't know if God wants one. It's just, it's not about that. It's about the power. Now, we know, those of us who understand this and have read it, in Acts chapter 2, we know how we get the power. We get the power of the, through the indwelling of the Spirit, through our repentance and baptism. But we'll come on to that when we do Acts 2 in a couple of weeks' time. But it's about the power. How much of our prayer times are about asking God to give us the strength rather than necessarily God asking us to change the circumstances? We can ask God anything. It's not wrong to ask God to change circumstances. But more often in the Bible, it seems to me, God gave people the the power, the strength to persevere and endure in a godly way through the circumstances rather than change them. Old Testament as well. Look at Joseph. The circumstances were bad, and then they were bad again, and then they were bad again before they got any better. He was a spiritual man through the whole time, and that was many, many years. And I know I pray for change of circumstances. Uh, I pray for better health. I pray for friends of mine and people I care about for better health, better, better circumstances, better situations at work or whatever. But in the end, I can't guarantee that God wants to change those things, so I must pray for the power I need. Are we praying for strength? Next time, maybe tomorrow morning in your next uh, prayer time, how about spending some deliberate time praying for the power you need from God to deal with the circumstances in your life that you'd rather were different than the way they are now. You need to pray for the power. That's part of the preparation here. One of the things we've been doing is, as the members here will know, is we've been praying through what we developed as our church aspirations. And we preached through this at the beginning of this year, and thank you to all the guys who, who preached on these topics. And I think, <coughs> excuse me, um, was it last week? Or t no, Andrew was here last week. Two weeks ago, I spoke on a summary of what we've been looking at and asking us to think about where we believe we're strongest and weakest. Where do we most need God's power as a church? 
Is it to be more God-focused or more relationship-based? Or Which one of these is it? And then I asked us to think about which one is it personally? Because the church might be particularly strong in that one area, but we're actually quite weak. And it might be the church is a bit weak in some areas, but we're actually quite strong. But I, I would encourage us to, to not let this um, fade into history, into the background of history, and, and forget about it. These aspirations are really important. And our particular part the, that we play in them is particularly important. And I'd like to ask you, as I ask myself, to, to identify which of those might be your personal weakest area, and then pray for God to supply the strength you need to grow in that. Uh, I don't think I'm so good at the relationship-based stuff. I like people some of the time. Um, as somebody said, I read this in a book, I heard this on a podcast last week, um, I love humanity, people are tricky. <laughs> and I, I, I get that. I love humanity. I think human beings are amazing. It's just people that are tricky. And so I think that's, that's one for me. I, don't, I think as a church, we're pretty good on, 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 on this uh, issue. But I don't think it's my strength. So I pray quite a lot about God giving me the strength to, uh, to be the kind of person that devoted to relationships that Jesus would have me to be and to grow. But what, what about yours? Where are you? I'm not going to ask you now, but just can we be praying about that? The way, one way that God will prepare us to be what he wants us to be for him is, to, is for us to identify our weaker areas and ask God to supply the strength that we need. Jesus did not promise them circumstances. He promised them power. And we are offered the same kind of power today because we have the same spirit. Okay, let's go on. Second point. Let's talk about the second thing of preparations. The second thing is to devote ourselves to prayer. If we're going to be prepared to be what God wants us to be, then a lot of that is about our devotion to prayer. You see that, what they do in this uh, chapter? After this incredible encounter and, uh, on, the, on the mountain and Jesus goes into heaven and, and the angels turn up and say, what are you looking at? What are you, why are you still here? You know, he'll come back. Don't worry about it. He reassures them. The angels reassure them. Then they go back to Jerusalem and their instinct, I love their instinct, their instinct after having been, Jesus is gone. He's been with them for three, maybe three and a half years. And he's died, tragedy, uh, resurrected, victory, fantastic. Now everything's sorted out. And then, he, and then he scarpers. And what's their instinct? You know, their instinct before, after the cross, after he left them the first time, what was their instinct? Run away, go back to fishing, hide, be afraid. But their instinct this time is completely different. Completely different. They gather in the, uh, in the room where they were staying, uh, constantly in prayer, verse 14. Constantly in prayer. Along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And don't you love that detail? Mary, the mother who was skeptical in Mark, uh, Mark 6. Right? I think it's Mark 6, Mark 3, Mark 6, where he, they come to take care of him because he's, I think he's out of his mind. His brothers in John 7 who don't believe in him, they're now in the upper room. And of course, one of his brothers, James, according to Galatians, becomes one of the pillars of the Jerusalem church. What a great church. Anyway, that's, that's a side point, really, but I think it's, I, I love that. And then Peter stands up amongst these 120, and the number 120 is significant because in Judaism, if you had 120 people in a community, you could have your own council. And so that was like a, a recognized as, an, as a community of people. And you could have your own council and make your own decisions. And so that's why that number is mentioned. And then Peter, 
applies scripture to the situation with Judas that would never have occurred to him looking at the Old Testament before all this happened, but he now realizes, oh my goodness, those verses from the Old Testament, oh, they apply to what happened to Judas. Oh, oh, and that means we need to replace him. There's that verse about another must take his place of leadership. Okay, so Peter twigs this, teaches it to the 120, and they're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And so they're, they're, getting, they're getting all this insight. Where does it come from? Surely it's because they've been devoted to prayer. I, don't, I think Peter was, knew his Old Testament well, and he'd been with Jesus for three years, but there's no ga- why, how else could he make this connection between these fairly obscure Old Testament verses and the situation and know what to do unless he had been amongst that group and the group had been devoting themselves to prayer? You know, as a church, we'll have decisions to make this year. I don't even know what they are yet, but we will do. And if we devote ourselves to prayer, we are much more likely to hear the voice of God guiding us in what we do, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, what we focus our efforts and energies on, who we focus our efforts and energies on. This will happen if we devote ourselves to prayer. And uh, prayer, one of the things about prayer, if you really devote yourselves to prayer is, uh, I expect this has happened to you. If I pray shallowly, nothing really really affects my heart, right? But if I really devote myself to myself to prayer, I find my motives being purified. My motives being refined. Why am I praying about that? What do I really want? Do I really want God's honor? And it's the devotion, it's the time spent in prayer that does that for me. Maybe the connection isn't so strong for you, but for me, the time, the longer I spend in prayer, generally, the more that my heart, my own heart becomes obvious to myself. And I realize, oh, here's where I am. Okay, and maybe it's good, or maybe it needs refining. But it's devotion in prayer. And I'd like to encourage us personally, but also as family groups, as friends, that when we meet, let's do whatever we ordinarily do, but let's make sure we pray. And, and more than just a token prayer, but real devotion in prayer. Maybe the, when the women are meeting Wednesday, right? You're meeting on Wednesday, I think? On this week? Yeah. Yeah, Sorry. At, yeah at our house, I think. Maybe, that, maybe it'd be good to have a bit of devotion to prayer as part of that meeting, or the next one, but maybe next time the men meet at Tunde's place, I think, a week Wednesday, uh, maybe we should do some, have some devotion to prayer during that time. But devotion to prayer is one of the ways that God prepares us. Prayer chains. What about a prayer chain? What about a prayer night? What about... I mean, one thought I had <clears throat> was... Um, as many of us that can make it, maybe going over to where this building is that we're thinking we might end up leasing, and pray there. And pray, pray at the building and pray for a while and just see what God does with that. And if you'd be interested in that, let me know. Maybe we can fix a time to do that. But devotion to prayer. Not just praying, but devotion. It gave them wisdom and prepared them for what God had in mind for them to do. So uh, participation part one is knowing what you need. Power, not circumstances. Particip- preparation, rather. Part two is devotion to prayer, not just praying. And preparation, part three, is to make godly decisions. Godly decisions. Okay, I've got a question for you. You can discuss with each other. Um, what do we learn about decision-making from the process that they went through in this passage, right? So the way that they dealt with it, uh, trying to get another, to, to find a replacement apostle. Well, have a look at that passage again with someone sitting next to you, and look at what Peter did, look at what the church did. 
What do we learn? What do you think we might learn about decision making from this passage? What do you think? Any thoughts? What stands out to you, or what perplexes you, what interests you, what surprises you? A lot of prayer. Okay, a lot of prayer has gone into this before. Before the beginning and before the book. Well before, right. A lot of prayer. Quantity of prayer, definitely. Thank you. What else? Rookie. The decision was based on scriptural uh, guidelines or input. <clears throat> Definitely. Right. A lot of scripture in there. Patricia. It's uh, generally speaking in, in Old Testament culture, that kind of culture, lots would be like <clears throat> almost like rolling dice. So something like that. Mm -hmm. Isn't that interesting? No, it doesn't. It does. I don't. It doesn't. It's not the, the concept of voting is a bit different. Yeah, it's more more almost a chance. I mean, it's not chance, but it's it's allowing God to. To influence the result, one would assume. Yeah. What were you going to say, Dan? They prayed that, um, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Yeah. So the decision wasn't based on the men's abilities as such, mm. like mm -hmm. potatoes is good as that, not good at this. It, was not, it wasn't based on the outward appearance, like, right. you know, or how they came across. It was about their hearts. Was Makes you wonder what the other guy who wasn't chosen might have felt like. Oh, so I've got a bad heart? <laughs> it may just have been about a, a particular quality of the heart that was important. Doesn't mean the other guy wasn't good. But yes, something of the heart was visible to God, that, not to human. I find it interesting that they went right back to John. Yes, John's baptism. Yeah. The whole time. Because a lot of people came and went, didn't they, through Jesus' life? There wasn't a big pool to choose from, and they only had the two right there. So mm, they go right back. Isn't that? Him? They obviously had a specific role that was different from just being an, a normal believer disciple. This was an apostolic role, and so that they had to have been there all the way through and seen everything experienced everything and they had to be involved in the ministry of Jesus you see how the thing about Judas it says in verse 17 he was one of our number and shared in our ministry not just Jesus's ministry our ministry so the because the disciples the apostles and the disciples when they were with Jesus had a ministry they were meant to be ministering to people sometimes that was picking up baskets of food it varied right varied various things they did and now they're going to have to do, do ministry. Verse 25, one of these two, they need to take over this apostolic ministry. That word just means serve, servant. So it's doing as Jesus did. And so that's part of it. Good. Um, 
I think it's fascinating. It, this isn't the only way to make a decision. It's not the only way that the church made a decision. In Acts chapter 6, we'll come to that when we get there, but they don't make the decision about the ones who should serve the widows in the same way. They don't cast lots in Acts 6. They also don't do the same thing in, uh, in Acts 13, when, uh, when they send people off on a missionary journey. A, again, a different thing happens. In Acts chapter 15, again, a different thing happens when they have to make a decision. So it's not like there's one way to make a decision. But I think it's important to draw out from each, each of these scenes what is it that might be interesting and helpful for us. And it does seem to me that prayer is a big factor in all of this. And it does seem to me that they're, they're choosing people for a role that is defined by its active, the heart of Jesus active through their life. It's not some, something with just a title. It's about them having a ministry. And I think that's so important it is about the heart, as you said. Here's a thought, just to wrap up, really. Do you have some tricky decisions to make? Do you have some decisions coming down the pipe this year? Where to live, jobs to take, where children go to school. Uh, what, what kind of decisions do we have to make? Financial decisions, career decisions. And then as a church, we'll have decisions to make. How are we going to make those decisions? I'd like to encourage us to meditate on this passage and think about the way the church made decisions. Perhaps compare this with Acts uh, 6 and 13 and 15 and think about what that might mean for us as we end up making decisions. Perhaps there are some principles there that could help you and could help us to make godly decisions. That's, these are the three things that I see in this uh, passage about a preparation for the church so it could be the church that God wanted it to be. Knowing what they need. If we're going to be prepared to be the people God wants us to be, we need to know what we need. It's more about the power than the circumstances. And secondly, to be devoted to prayer. Not just, prayer not just praying, but prayer full. Uh, being devoted to prayer. And thirdly, making godly decisions. Making sure that as best we can, we're making decisions that, that we've given to God. That we really trust God. Even if it's not what we would want. Or the way we would want things to happen. But giving it all to God. What do you need? Can you devote yourselves to prayer? And can we make more godly decisions? There's tons here in Acts chapter 1. We've We've looked at a few things that I hope are helpful, but as we do that, then we will be better prepared to be the church that God wants us to be, to act for his glory. <laughs>